Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 458 of the podcast. It's Carrie here, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Uh, I am excited to have Kara Powell back on the podcast. We are going to talk about the next generation and why they are so focused on identity, belonging, and purpose, and how to embrace them. I find in my own leadership conversations, this is becoming a bigger and bigger issue. And if you have somehow been impacted by the great resignation, yeah, you're going to want to stay tuned. Today's episode is brought to you by MetaShare and World Vision. MetaShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating and an average member savings of 50% or more. To find out how much you could save, go to metashare.com slash carry. World Vision has a free leadership assessment guide. If you want to know where you're at as a leader, go to worldvision.org slash carry podcast. And I want to thank our partners for this. Man, it's a privilege to be able to do this for you. I know your time is important. And what we try to do around here is bring you the conversations you would want to have if you sat down with leaders like Kara Powell or Simon Sinek or Adam Grant or Jessica Jackley or Seth Godin or people like that. And uh, it sort of goes all over the place because, well, that's what you're dealing with as a leader, right? You're dealing with all kinds of issues. If you're new to the podcast, I suspect a lot of you are. We keep growing every month. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't yet subscribed, uh, I would encourage you to do it. I only listen to the podcasts I subscribe to. I'll tell you at the end some guests that we've got uh, coming up. Kara Powell is a PhD and the Chief of Leadership Formation and the Executive Director of the Fuller Youth Institute at Fuller Theological Seminary. Named by Christianity Today as one of the 50 women to watch, Kara serves as a youth and family strategist for Orange and speaks regularly at parenting and leadership conferences. She's authored or co-authored numerous books, including Faith in an Anxious World, Growing With, Growing Young, and the Sticky Faith Guide for Your Family, and the entire Sticky Faith series, as well as Can I Ask That? And uh, she and her husband, Dave, live in California. And Kara, it's so good to have you back on the podcast. Hey, leaders, it's that time of year again. We are getting close to the end of a year. It's open enrollment season. It is the dreaded yearly task of diving into the mountain of paperwork and research, trying to find the best healthcare options for you and your family. We all want two things when it comes to our healthcare, trust and affordability. With a 98% customer satisfaction rating and an average member savings of 50% or more, MediShare checks both of those boxes. It's an affordable alternative to health insurance that allows members to share one another's medical bills And they offer access to 900,000 plus healthcare providers and have a 27-year track record. They're a trusted name in healthcare, and they also offer free and unlimited professional virtual counseling sessions to their members. So now's the time to switch. Find out how much you could save by going to MediShare, that's M-E-D-I, share.com slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y. And also, check out what World Vision is doing. They want to get in your corner as leaders, and uh, they have partnered with Krish Kandaya. And they have created a powerful interactive tool to ask yourself the critical questions and take stock of where you are and how you are as a leader. World Vision knows this has been a challenging two years, and the world needs more great leaders than you. So they just want to come alongside you as a leader 
And uh, the guide that you get when you complete this assessment will prepare you for the season ahead so you can be the leader your community needs. You can download your free leadership assessment guide today at worldvision.org slash carry podcast. That's worldvision.org slash C-A-R-E-Y podcast. Hope you do that today. Well, without further ado, I will bring you my conversation with Kara Powell. Kara, it's so good to have you back on the podcast. Welcome. Always a pleasure to have a good conversation with you, Carrie. <laughs> so I want to start in a really weird place. I promise you I'm not following you around and haven't hired security people, but uh, you recently sent your middle daughter off to college. At your last dinner, you asked her three questions. I'd love to know what they were and why you asked them. Yeah. And by the way, that came from social media. Okay, so just so you know, it's not that creepy. Thanks for that clarification. Yes, uh, you're right. I did post about this on social. Um, and here are the three questions and, uh, that, that I asked Krista. And I prefaced it by said, okay, by saying, Krista, there are three questions I want to ask you. So she had kind of a heads up that this was going to be the tone for a few minutes. Um, first is, what's your plan for the first four days? Our research at the Fuller Youth Institute, we have seen that the first two weeks, but even the first four days of a new college student's decision, our trajectory setting. And so we want her to think about, uh, you know, what, what church or Christian ministry am I being involved in? What study habits? What choices am I going to make and not make about parties, et cetera, on those first four days? So that was the first question. Second question is, what are you looking for in a friend? Um, and we asked, or I asked Krista that question. Uh, she's an off-the-chart extrovert who loves, loves, loves people. Um, and so for her, like anybody's a friend <laughs> and, mm. uh, and yet I know the power of friendships, you know, in any stage of life, but especially as a new college student. And so I wanted to think with her, what are the qualities that are most important to you in those who will end up being your, your closest friends? Uh, and then the third question was, uh, who, what adult are you going to reach out to? I said, if you struggle. And then I clarified and I said, and Krista, it's probably going to be when you struggle, if I'm honest. Like we all have struggles. And so what adult are you going to reach out to if you make a mistake? If, uh, if you're just feeling insecure, if you're feeling alone, whatever it might be. And she named the mentor, one of her teachers that uh, my husband and I would have guessed she would name. And then I actually let that teacher know, I, I sent that teacher an email and said, hey, just so you know, I asked Krista this question. Um, and not surprisingly, she mentioned you because I wanted that teacher to just be extra aware of the power of the relationship that they have with Krista. So those are the three. What's your plan? What are you looking for in a friend? And what adult is going to be your safe space if you're struggling? Well, first of all, every parent is writing those questions down if that ship hasn't already sailed. But I want to go back to the first question because... Yeah. You read your first four days. And again, Kara, yeah. you have your doctorate. Research is what you do. What is, because I'm thinking this is a general leadership principle. Let me give you an mm. example to frame the question. But like when I get a new phone or a new device or a new piece of technology, I find that the way I use it in the first few days determines how I use it because it's complexity that you're trying to simplify, yeah. right? So uh, I don't know how this thing works. Oh, well, if I press this button, it does that. It's like, you know, you think about microwaves. Like how many of us actually use all the functionality of our microwave? I mean, the quick 30 second, that yeah. is like the massive button. Yeah. Like and then just one hit it three times. And, or hit it three times for a minute and a half. Exactly. Right? Boom, like, boom, yeah, boom. yeah. 
Now I got 90 seconds or <laughs> popcorn, right? It's like, thank you, popcorn button. That's awesome. But like, we're not like defrosting roasts at, you know, three hours at 30 mm-hmm. pounds. Like I'm sure it can do a lot more, but you try to subdue it. You try to master it. And then you're like, oh, I know what this is and I know how to use it. Meanwhile, you've discovered 1% of its functionality, 5% of its functionality. So I always think that break-in period that how do you learn a new car? How do you learn, you know, we're boaters, a new boat. If you get a different boat, like you got to figure that out and how it works. And I think there has to be something there in leadership for like an employee's first four days. A is a shaping experience. Chip and Dan Heath talked about that in The Power of Moments. Talk a little bit more um, you know, onboarding new employees, bringing people onto your team, um, welcoming people into a new setting. Like what is so magic about that first little period? Because you're right. For a lot of people, it's drink your face off frosh week, right? <laughs> That's the first four days. Yeah. There's the tone for first yeah. year. Yeah. So so can you, can you double click on that a little bit? Yeah. I think that's a fantastic observation, Carrie, and I'm really glad you're raising it. It reminds me of the phrase, you know, we only have one chance to make a first impression. Um, mm. And I think building on that, even after the first impression, those first initial decisions have a disproportionate influence. And so, you know, when somebody's experiencing the environment where we're leading, or when somebody's using the product that we're selling, um, you know, their first few encounters really do set a tone for them. Am I going to be able to handle this, master this? How helpful is this? Um, or is this going to be challenging, off-putting? So, so I think whether it's our onboarding, whether it's when we think about, you know, for, for the products and the resources and the experiences we're offering customers, um, whether that's a church service or whether that's a piece of technology, how do we have that on-ramp be as smooth and easy and appealing as possible so that they, they not only, you know, get into the slow lane, but folks are able to move a lane or two into faster lanes using that highway analogy. So you become widely known for your research and also your public speaking, but this this question just occurred to me. You probably also teach students, right? Like every semester you get a fresh crop. Is there anything you do in the first few days to set the tone for the term for those students? You know, nobody has ever asked me that question, Carrie, so I'm glad you <laughs> have. Uh, I actually learned from another um, another professor who, who said that her rule of thumb is she wanted, if the size of the classroom allowed this, she wanted every student to speak aloud in class so that they thought of themselves from day one as a contributor, that they heard their voice in the room and felt like they weren't just guests in the class, they were hosting the class and helping make it happen. So, you know, again, if class sizes uh, allow, and if it's an in-person class, so much of teaching is now online. But, um, you know, I, I do try to figure out how can every single person speak up, say a little bit about themselves, a little bit about their context, a little bit about their pressing questions, so that they hear the voice in the room, which I think will make them more likely to speak up the second and the 10th class sessions. So do you do like a little go around and everyone gets two minutes to say who they are, where they're from? and Yeah, often. And again, especially on the sides of the class. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. If you get a lecture with 500 people in it, that's a different story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but especially though, any pressing questions that they have, what they hope to get out yeah. of the class. Um, so that in addition to a little bit of biographical, cultural, social location information, we can also quickly get a feel for what are the most pressing questions that I, I hope, we hope this class can address. 
Okay, well, let's, the reason I asked that first question is uh, we a lot of us are now working with young leaders. There's a lot of parents, but also, you know, your daughter will soon be employed somewhere, will be the intern somewhere, will be the new person on the team somewhere. And we're really seeing a brand new generation enter the workplace. And that's where your specialty is in research. How do you think the disruption of the last two years has impacted the next generation? Well, that's a question that I think any of us should be asking. And and here's the fundamental answer in just a few words. We don't fully know yet how the Mm. last two years Mm. of upheaval is going to affect any generation, but especially young people. But let me speculate a little bit, Carrie, um, if you'll allow me to. So we at the Full Youth Institute, as we've looked over all the research done on Gen Z, uh, we thought, okay, how would we distill this research into a handful of adjectives? And so we've come up with three adjectives. And I think each of those adjectives has a unique manifestation in the midst of the last two years. So here's the first adjective. This generation of young people, they are an anxious generation. We, we know that even before the pandemic, they had quite high rates of mental health challenges, anxiety, depression, uh, suicide even. And uh, according to CDC data, during the pandemic for young people, anxiety has tripled and depression has quadrupled. So wow. I would say this already anxious generation is, is probably more anxious And, you know, it's interesting, Carrie, I'm hearing about that manifestation in all sorts of ways, everything from social anxiety to a parent just told me a week ago, uh, her 12-year-old is very anxious about food getting rotten and and just kind of has a disproportionate obsession with the quality of the food that's in their house. So it can manifest in a lot of different ways, but uh, this is an anxious generation and we need to be honest about that. Um, the second adjective I would say is this is an adaptive generation. Oh my goodness, this generation, they are so creative, they are talented, um, they are resilient, they are problem solvers, they are opportunity creators, they want to serve. And so, you know, I, I think this is an asset for us who team with and mentor young people is that they do have this um this creativity and the spirit of innovation that can add so much to our work. And then the third adjective is this is a diverse generation. Uh, If you look at the United States and U.S. census data in 2020, we crossed a line where now 50% of those under 18 are young people of color. So 50% are white, 50% are young people of color. And so this is a generation that's used to being around diverse folks. They want to pursue uh, racial justice, racial reconciliation. And so those are the three terms, anxious, adaptive, and um, diverse. Hmm. What? How does anxiety show up in the workplace? How does anxiety show up in the classroom? Like, what are you seeing? Um, what? Are, because we all, I think we all know that. And, you know, I'm somebody who doesn't generally struggle with anxiety over certain things I do, but I am noticing that you're kind of helping the next generation with life skills, yeah. maybe more than you were a decade ago or 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, like any clarity on on how that shows up and what leaders should look for? Yeah. So what's a, a bit challenging about anxiety or mental health challenges is they can manifest in different ways. So, you mm-hmm. know, I, I would say what we need to be mindful of is 
any dramatic changes that we're seeing in our colleagues or, uh, you know, in the people that we're mentoring or spending time with. So if they get more or less social, if they eat more or less, um, if they sleep more or less. So that's that's part of what makes this a little challenging, uh, Carrie, is it's either more or less. Yeah, you don't get a full view. Uh, right, 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 right. And so, um, so I will say this, that this is where, especially when it comes to teenagers and children, that it's important to partner with parents because especially mm. when we're meeting by Zoom or online still in whatever context we're in, uh, but even face-to-face, you know, we're only getting one small slice of a young person. And so to reach out to parents periodically and say, hey, you know, this is what's happening with young people. And I'm curious what you're, what you're seeing in your home because you're seeing things that I can't see. So yeah, another reason to partner with parents. Yeah. And that's great advice. Like if you're running a student ministry or that kind of thing, you can't leave the parent out. You've got to get rid of the whole Messiah complex yeah. and I'm going to save everything. But it's 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 challenging sometimes. What I've noticed is that uh, what's happening at home really impacts what's happening at work. Yeah. That if somebody's really struggling in a relationship, whether it's a dating relationship that went bad, or maybe they're just not getting enough sleep at night or whatever, that tends to, you know, you bring your whole self to work. So it's good to know to look at. Well, you and Brad Griffin have a brand new book. It's called Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. And what I love about your work and Brad's work is there's always research, like research-based. So this isn't just a bunch of opinions. You do actual research, real study. Uh, The questions relate to identity, belonging, and purpose. So let's start with identity. It is something everybody, like last two or three years, identity is just on everyone's radar screen. Tim Keller and I have had a couple of fascinating conversations around identity. What do you mean by identity? And why is identity a factor, Kara? Yeah. Well, fundamentally, we define identity as the question of who am I? Um, and I, identity is such a factor in our culture today and for us as individuals because our identity is formed both by us as individuals, but it's a, it's very communally formed. So our identity is very affected by those with whom we're interacting. And they, in many ways, become mirrors for us to help us figure out, am I this person or am I that person? Um, and I would say for, for today, uh, you know, we have technology and social media, which is a, a whole new platform, literally, to experiment with identities. And, you know, I think especially younger people, they're taking advantage of those opportunities to kind of try something on. You know, one day they might be projecting this image. The next day they might be curating that image. You know, they're, 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 they have the chance to figure out, okay, who am I going to show? What part of myself am I going to show today? Or how many parts of myself am I going to show today and to whom? So, you know, the question of identity developmentally, we're not the first to say that uh, psychologically and, and holistically that this is an important question. But I think technology brings new opportunities and challenges when it comes to identity formation. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine my grandparents who I knew well and how they might have wrestled with questions of identity. And I don't know that it was a really big issue in previous generations. It's like, this is your lot in life. You come from a poor family. That's actually a lot of my background, like Dutch peasant farmers kind of thing, not a whole lot of money. And so you till the field and don't ask a whole lot of questions. And, you know, my dad came over to Canada as an immigrant 
And it's like, well, I need a job that pays the bills, right? Like, is that a fresher? I mean, everybody asks, who am I? Why am I here? Right? We'll get to purpose in a minute. But like, is that just because of all the change we've seen in the last 20 years, like a way more intense question than it used to be? Yeah, I would say it's a, it's, it's, I think I'm comfortable using the word timeless. You know, we researchers, we like to qualify our language, but I think I will say yeah. it is a timeless question. Um, but for right now with 2021, uh, the, the heat is even greater because we're exposed to more of other people's different identities, which raises new mm-hmm. questions for us. And we start uh, responding then, you know, about our identity, which raises new questions for others. And so it's kind of like this constant iteration and back and forth with so many different spheres of influence. So, you know, your grandparents, they were most affected by uh, probably people that they knew directly and that they interacted Mm -hmm. with regularly, whereas you and I and, you know, younger people especially, uh, they, their identity is shaped by literally almost infinite number of sources can be involved in shaping Mm -hmm. their identity. Which, you know, the plus is it gives you more questions to think about. The minus of that is, I mean, that can be absolutely overwhelming. Uh, so many different audiences with whom we're interacting, um, that can be stressful and exhausting. Where are uh, the next generation finding their identity. I mean, if you look at boomers, right, there's the joke that you're hippies in the 60s and yuppies in the 80s and very devoted to work. A lot of people would say, right, boomers have set the tone for I am what I do. And that's even how we announce ourselves, right? I'm a podcaster. I'm a lawyer. I'm a nurse. I'm a whatever. Um, Where where are people finding, placing, or misplacing their identities? So the research that we did for our three big questions that change every teenager book was to survey over 2,000 teenagers and then to do deep dive interviews with 27 teenagers, very diverse teenagers. Um, and we spent up to six hours with each of them, not in one sitting. Let me be clear. That was over, you know, usually three, <laughs> three different. Uh, we'll put the light on you. Just sit yeah, in that exactly. chair for six that, hours. Right? That would be bad for everybody. But uh, three, usually three different conversations with each young person. And we were trying to figure out, you know, what are the themes in their answers for identity and then belonging and then purpose? Um, uh, when it came to identity, the themes that we heard, one I've already touched on, and that is, you know, I'm largely defining myself based on others' expectations and others' interactions with me. But then the second one, and this is uh, even more troubling for me, Carrie, is that this generation, they constantly feel as they're defining themselves that they're not enough. Um, they don't mm. feel, and it'll be a different adjective for each young person. They don't feel smart enough. They don't feel attractive enough. They don't feel popular enough. Uh, of our, the 27 kids that we interviewed, uh, 20 of them were young people of color. We wanted to disproportionately wanted to interview young people of color. And, uh, you know, what they would often say is as they're navigating multiple worlds and multiple audiences, they don't feel Latino or black enough. And so, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to pinpoint. I mean, if you really push me to pinpoint, here's, here's one common way that young people are defining themselves. I would say with this generation, it's how they're making their mark on the world around them. Um, you know, this is a very purposeful, uh, we want to change our environment. We want to make a difference generation, which is something to really celebrate. 
But an even more common theme was how they constantly feel like they don't measure up to the bars that they're supposed to. Any thoughts on how that impacts leaders who are starting to work with this generation? Like what should we be doing, not doing when it comes to identity? I mean, there was a certain sense in which if you look at millennials and the research around that, there was, I don't work for, want to work for a giant corporation that isn't making a difference in the world and I want it to be ethical, et cetera, et cetera. I don't just want to work for the bottom line and I don't want to work for my boss's profit. I think that's a reasonably reasonable narrative among a lot of millennials. How is it shifting with Gen Z or is it? Well, I would say first, for those of us who are over 30, I I think this identity question is one we need to ask ourselves and then be willing to share our process with younger leaders. So, Mm. you know, this idea that I'm not enough, I'll be honest, Carrie, I struggle with that. I don't struggle with that so much in work, leadership, ministry, but I I struggle with that as a mom and a wife. Uh, And the fact that we study amazing parents (laughs) um, only adds fuel to that fire of not feeling like I'm enough of a mom for my three kids or somehow my kids will be better off with a a, a different mom. And first off, I would say that's that's something I'm praying about uh, every day. And I'm I'm grateful for how God is helping me grow in that and experience that Mm. God is enough. God makes me enough. Um, You know, as a person of of faith, that is the that is the truth that that I stand upon. Um, So and as I'm as I'm embracing that and leaning into that, I'm actually trying to share that with uh, with our team. In fact, later today, hmm. uh, we we do periodic kind of relational building times all by Zoom. And our team members in, in groups of five or six get to sign up for a time to basically have a facilitated conversation by me that helps us get to know each other better. You know, it, it, it's, it's probably important. We used to do this before we were so virtual. Uh, also, but we've increased the frequency now that we're virtual because we just don't get those five or 10 minute kind of touch base check-in times in the same way when we're in Zoom meetings. And so later today, um, I'll be hosting one of these small groups. And, and that's actually one of the, the foci of our time is, you know, what are what new things are you learning about yourself and your identity? And I will share with those five or six people that this is a struggle for me and, and here's how I'm growing. So you know, this generation, younger younger workers, younger people, they respond to vulnerability and authenticity. And so as appropriate in our work environments and contexts, as we can give others, especially younger people, a glimpse of our own identity journey, I think that will cause them to trust us more. And I'll just have one last thought. One of my, my favorite expressions from this last year, it was said a while ago, but it's meant so much to me this year, is Stephen Covey says, we can move at the speed of trust. And mm. I think our younger generation is going to trust us more when we're sharing more about our own journey. That is a fantastic book, by the way. Just a footnote to leaders. If you haven't read Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey, it's amazing as, as trust increases, uh, speed increases and cost decreases when there is no trust. The argument is that costs increase and speed slows down, which is really interesting. And 
I think that, you know, what you're sharing really resonates. And I would say as a parent too, of a 29 and a 25 year old, I'm still like, wow, I don't know that I've got this figured out. I really don't. And I'm always trying to like, you know, go a little bit more here, a little bit less there. It's like, you're trying to figure it out. No, I appreciate your vulnerability. Anything else on identity that we need to know about as we seek to come alongside the next generation, Kara? I would just say this, and this is part of what led Brad Griffin and myself to write this book, is um, those of us who are over 30, we have finger pointed and we have judged (laughs) the younger generation. Um, And now it's a tough, this is a tough time to be a teenager or a young adult. I've started asking in audiences, Carrie, how many of you would want to be a teenager or a young adult today? And usually not a single hand goes up. it was hard enough in the eighties and nineties. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. It was hard enough back then. Like, why do it exactly. again? Exactly. <laughs> Especially with with all the heat that's on this generation of young people. Um, uh-huh. And what what we want with all these questions, including question of identity, is instead of us judging young people, we want those of us over thirty to journey with them. And to really understand what they're asking, you know, one 15-year-old said this about his church, and it's just haunted me. He said this, I wish the church would stop giving me answers to questions I'm not asking. Whew. Mm. I wish the church would stop giving me answers to questions I'm not asking. And regardless of our role, whether we're in a church or a corporation, a nonprofit, whatever it might be, are we responding to the pressing questions that our, our employees and those we serve are asking? And, and so that's where identity, belonging, and purpose are help are three helpful buckets through which to organize, I would say, really all life questions. I think you touch on, and, and if you're going in a different direction, let me know, but I think you touch on a really good point. It is so easy to assume and so difficult to yeah. listen. Is listening a superpower with this next generation? Absolutely. And it's one that I need to grow in. Carrie, you probably need mm. to grow in. I mean, I think all oh, of yeah. us need to grow in. I would say we've never mastered listening. It's something we can always get better at. Um, and, you know, some of us will start listening to a young person and, and maybe they give us an answer and we don't know how to ask the next question. <laughs> um, you know, we don't know how to continue the conversation so we can keep listening. And that's where this three-word phrase is, is gold for me. And it's tell me more. Tell me more. Mm. Just to say that to that 18-year-old, that 28-year-old, that 38-year-old, you know, even a 78-year-old, tell me more about that. And just that gentle, that gentle tug. Um, which isn't, you know, pressing in with too pointed of a question, but it gives space for somebody to say a little bit more and for you to understand a little bit more. So I I offer that as something that's been a helpful tool for me and Brad Griffin and really our whole team at Fuller. Tell me more. That is really, really good advice. I uh, feel like I have an imaginary post-it note on this iMac that I record podcast interviews into and it simply says, shut up. Yeah, yeah. that my best interviews are when I talk a little bit less and I'm just quiet. Um, and I think that's a good leadership principle. You know, I, a friend of mine is a, an excellent coach of leaders and she has this great maxim, which is let the silence do the heavy lifting. 
Mm. And so, you know, as we're in dialogue with somebody, whether it's on identity, belonging, and purpose, or whatever questions it might be, uh, when there's silence, we often jump in, we switch the subject, whatever it might be, and instead just give a few more beats and see if somebody, especially if you give, a, again, that gentle tug, like, tell me more, see if they'll take the conversation a little bit deeper with you. I read uh, Eugene Peterson's biography this past summer, and apparently that was one of the things he was quite huh. well known for, if you knew him personally, is super awkward <laughs> long silences. And uh, and it can produce some really good things, yeah. Kara. Um, what happens to a leader who thinks, you know what, Kara, thanks so much for this. I appreciate it. Great research. I just want them to go to work. I just want to get them to be on my team. I don't want to go into the listening mode, talk about identity, meaning, purpose. Like that just seems like Pat Lencioni talks about that all the time, right? Where it's like when he started doing what he spent his life doing, there was a lot of people who almost laughed him off the stage. And But he said all these soft skills actually have a huge impact. So what would you say to the leader who's like, I don't really want to deal with it. It's like, here's your desk, here's your job, here's your cubicle, here's your computer, here's a coffee shop you can work at, just go get it done. What, what do they miss? Well, uh, first thing, first thing I would it. say is look at the research on empathy. So, you know, so you use mm. the term superpower. Empathy is, is another superpower that across the board in fields, we are seeing the power of empathy in ultimately yielding to better results. So, so I think I would, mm. uh, I would play to whatever somebody's motivation is. Maybe they do want greater productivity. They do want higher output from them, their employees. Well, Empathy tends to fuel that. Uh, the best innovation happens through empathy. The best family relationships start with empathy. I would say the best marriage, the, you know, the best collaboration in general starts with empathy. And so, um, you know, hopefully we as leaders are thinking more about the holistic thriving of those we supervise, those we serve. Um, so, you know, hopefully that's what's motivating us. But even if it's not, even if we are most motivated by pure productivity and, you know, Carrie, I'm an Enneagram three. So I'm all about productivity and achievement and accomplishment and uh, getting a lot done as quickly as possible. Um, and as an Enneagram three, this is part of what I've learned is that empathy is a, a essential part of even that journey. Hmm. Hmm. What, how do you define empathy? Well, in the book, yeah. What does it look like? Brad and I actually talk about this in, uh, in three big questions that change every teenager. And we describe it as two steps. It's noticing and caring. So first of all, it's paying attention. So you see what's going on, what somebody is struggling with, what they are experiencing that's joyful, that you're just noticing what's happening with this person. And then, and then it's taking some sort of caring action. So, and that caring action can be, you know, being a safe place for them to talk more, or that can be doing something even more tangible in, in your policies and how you inter interact with that one employee or, or customer or whatever it might be. But um, we define it as noticing and caring. Hmm. And what happens when you do that? What happens to those teenagers, to those young adults, when you notice and you start to care? Since you asked specifically about teenagers and young adults, I think what I would say is um, 
they feel like they have the dignity and value of being a fellow human. (laughs) Um, You know, I think Mm. so often our generations are divided and there's those over 30 and those under 30. Um, And when those of us over 30 take the time to notice and care, uh, then all of a sudden that young person feels equal they feel valued. They feel like they have agency. And, and I'll tell you, young people can tell if uh, a company, a uh, nonprofit, if a specific leader really does notice and care, really is empathizing with them. I, I remember interviewing one group of young people at a church and Carrie, they could point to literally the prayer meeting where they felt like all of a sudden their senior pastor empathized with them. So, uh, you know, Mm. young people have a radar that's very attentive to, is somebody really genuinely with me or are they simply tolerating me? Um, And and when we can slow ourselves down and listen and, um, and say, tell me more, then their radar goes up and they, they start to trust us, which again, back to that Stephen Covey phrase, we can move at the speed of trust. So, um, so I think mm. that dignity and common humanity and fundamental value that people feel ends up releasing a new level of relationship, productivity, and fruit. Feels like we might have slipped a little bit into the other two big questions that yeah. every teenager is asking about belonging and purpose. Talk a little bit more about belonging. How does that show up and why does it matter? Well, identity, belonging, and purpose all very much influence each other. So, you know, we 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 talk about them as as three distinct questions, and they are. But you know, the Venn diagram of the three has a lot of overlap, and part of how we grow in our sense of ourselves, our identity, as we've already hinted at, is the way that we grow in community, uh, the way that we grow as we're relating to others. And some of my colleagues in the school of psychology, Carrie, would actually say that of the three questions, identity, belonging, and purpose, belonging is kind of the tip of the arrow that leads the other two, that is more instrumental in the other two of identity and purpose. Um, and, And let me just say, as a parent and someone who works alongside a lot of young people, uh, if I stay attentive to their quest for identity, belonging, and purpose, but especially belonging, it just explains so much of what they do and why they do it. Uh, I mean, all generations, but especially young people, are hungry for connection. And so, you know, let's use my my just starting college daughter as an example. Um, so much of what she did and didn't do as she was preparing to leave, and now that she's left. Um, it could be confusing to me. It could even be hurtful for me, perhaps, as she's spending a lot of time with friends, say, before she goes to college. And, and that can leave me, especially as a mom who struggles in wondering, am I enough? Um, that can leave me feeling extra insecure. But when I, when I start to realize, okay, this is a normal developmental hunger for belonging that Krista or Nathan or Jessica or any of my colleagues at work are after, then it's like the penny drops. And all of a sudden I realize, oh, okay, that is why, that's why they're acting that way. That's why they have that attitude. It's not about me. It's about them and their quest to connect. Um, and I, 
it brings me back to empathize with them and help me know how to respond to them because I'm factoring in their quest for belonging. Hmm. What are some things you can do to foster belonging? Obviously, you know, as a family, you want them to feel a sense of belonging in a family. As a team, you want them to feel like they belong on the team. As a church or not-for-profit, you want your people to feel like they belong. Even as a business with regular customers, you want to nurture a sense of of belonging, even for brand loyalty, etc. So what can you do to foster belonging? Two thoughts come to mind. First of all, uh, eliminate hurry or reduce hurry. Um, It's hard to create a sense of belonging when we're hurrying. And I certainly understand there are some work days where I'm hustling and hurrying, at least for pockets of time. And I imagine, you know, all of your viewers and listeners can relate to that. But for us to do what we can to reduce the constant press, the constant push, so that we can honor the humanity in each of us. So so I would say, first off, reduce hurry. And then second off, share stories. Share stories. There's something about sharing our stories of our own lives, sharing our stories of what's happening in those we're serving, our customers, our clients, sharing stories from our past, our present, and our future, that builds, you know, I I think that is a a super glue that brings people together. Mm. When when stories can be shared in an unhurried environment, um, that creates a sense of we, not you and me, but we. I forget whether it's Dallas Willard or John Ortberg, but there's something about, you know, intimacy or hurry kills intimacy. Mm. You can't be intimate in a hurry. And I think that's a really, really good point. All right, let's talk about purpose. Yeah. That one's been around for a little while. How's it expressing itself in the new generation? Yeah. Well, you know, earlier I mentioned that some of my psychology colleagues, uh, faculty, they would say that perhaps belonging is, is the first of the three or the tip of the arrow of the three. I've wondered, as we've looked at this research, if purpose with this particular generation, which again, so interested in making a difference, if purpose or the question of how can I make a difference? If, if that is kind of neck and neck with belonging in terms of being extra influential in this generation. Um, and you know, there's good news from our research. We, we, the 27 kids that we interviewed did these really deep dive qualitative interviews. Um, they were all recommended by youth pastors. So they were in some way connected with the youth ministry. Every single one of them was involved in serving. And mm. that, that was wonderful. That was awesome. What, what was uh, challenging with it is two things, Carrie. First off, some of them were burned out because mm. they were serving so much. And then secondly, they, they lacked often kind of a a bigger reason, a motivation that fueled their service. It felt at times uh, like these students were serving because their mom and stepdad wanted them to, or because it looked good on a college application, or because their their pastor or small group leader or mentor wanted them to. And so that's part of what we offer in our reflection on this purpose question is, you know, how can we help anybody, but especially young people, connect to the bigger why of purpose, which, you know, as a, as a follower of Jesus, I would say God's got a great story and we all need to figure out our part in it. 
or, you know, God's got kind of a big book of stories and how do we figure out our page? And so that to me is the, the bigger why that motivates and fuels the service that we do is we're, we're part of this unfolding story. We have our own, our own page where we get to play a, a role, um, in, in this unfolding drama. Uh, but for whatever faith, whatever worldview, whatever perspective that you have to really make sure that you're drilling down to that foundation that fuels and, and motivates your service. That's what we want to help young people do. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Is it showing up in, um, let's say, under 25s differently than it has in previous generations? Or it's sort of, no, same old, same old. Everybody just wants to know, why am I here? I think what's different is this generation of young people have so many more possibilities ahead for them. You know, Carrie, you mentioned being a kid of the 80s or 90s. You know, for for many of us as as listeners, if we were young people in the 80s or 90s, there was kind of a linear path. Um, You know, we we went to high school, then maybe college or the military workforce, marriage, kids, etc. For young people today, it's a much more circuitous path Mm -hmm. that sometimes, you know, leaves the map altogether and then comes back in a completely unique way. There's so many different options for young people. And so, uh, you know, kind of like we talked about with identity, on the one hand, that's a real plus. There's so many different possibilities. And, you know, you and I, we were probably a little bit too foreclosed in the opportunities that were ahead for us. But the downside is that can also be overwhelming. It can lead young people to feel kind of a buyer's remorse, like they've chosen one path, but would it have been better to go on, you know, path number two or path number three? And so um, there's a lot more awareness and that contributes to a lot more stress and uncertainty for young people when it comes to their question of purpose. No, I've seen that. And that leads me to maybe my final question, Kara, which is about technology. So I love to ask this question of experts and, and I'd love to get your take. Has technology made this easier or harder for the next generation or both? Yes, I would say both. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, we've talked already about how, you know, young people can experiment with different forms of their identity through technology. That's a real gift. Um, But it often leads to this feeling of comparison and fragmentation. When it comes to belonging, I mean, technology is wonderful in so many ways. In fact, uh, 68% of young people say that technology really helped them connect with peers and mentors during the pandemic. So, uh, you know, looking at the pandemic as a case study, uh, Technology was wonderful in fueling a sense of belonging, but technology can also show, technology can show you all that you weren't invited to. Social media can show you everything that's happening without you. And, you know, Carrie, if if you and I weren't invited to a Friday night party when we were teenagers or young adults, we maybe heard about it on Monday morning. Yeah, or maybe never did. or, Or maybe never did, yeah. But young people today see it unfolding in real time uh, in the device in their hands. And then when it comes to purpose, um, it, gosh, I'm, I'm so pleased how young people are using technology, using social media to become more aware, uh, you know, to hashtag justice, et cetera. I think that can be a placebo, though, sometimes for actual face-to-face, human-to-human, rolling up our sleeves, true advocacy and longer term change um, that probably involves more ongoing interaction than than social media can allow. And so so I would say technology can help with identity, belonging and purpose, but 
we also, in all of those, in all three of those spheres, we need the human face-to-face -face interaction. The two coming together is, is the best hybrid. Well, uh, Kara, what else do leaders need to know about the next generation? You know, the phrase that comes to mind um, comes from some previous research we've done where we asked those who were older and effective with, with young people what they've learned about working with young people. And one of the people we interviewed who was a senior pastor actually said, you know, when it comes to young people, warm is the new cool. Mm. Warm is the new cool. And Carrie, I think the lie that you and I, and maybe some of your listeners might believe is that it, it's about being cool. It's about being hip. And, you know, my teenagers would say just the way that I use those phrases, cool and hip right there, uh, betrays that I'm neither cool nor hip. In fact, in fact, I, uh, about a week ago, I said in front of one of my teenagers, I used the word cool or hip and I could tell they, you know, it was not sitting well with them. And I said, you know, what's a better word for me to use that really works for someone my age? And they just said, doesn't really matter, mom. It sounds kind of dorky, whatever the word is. So, uh, so I, I'm just kind of, uh, automatically dorky when I talk about coolness or hipness, but, uh, you know, it's easy for us to think that we need to know the right vocabulary and have the right jazz and keep up on social media and all that. And, you know, some of that may or may not be helpful. But what young people ultimately want is an adult who will sit on the curb of their lives, uh, mm. notice and care, say, tell me more. And that our warmth is far more needed uh, by young people than our coolness. And so I offer that to encourage uh, those of us who are over 30, that um, we do the little things that we do, the way that we build warmth with our colleagues and our clients and, and those we're serving with and, and alongside, those little acts of building warmth, they pay off in long-term relationship and long-term collaboration and ultimately long-term fruit. I love that. Warm is the new cool. Well, the book is called... Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. It's Kara Powell and Brad Griffin's work. And uh, you're going to love it. It's, I had the privilege of reading it, endorsing it. And um, Kara, where can they find more about you and your work online? Thanks for asking, Carrie. We have a threebigquestionsbook.com website with an, the number three, threebigquestionsbook.com. And uh, Carrie, I have such respect for you and I love this podcast. You know that I'm a regular listener. I'm often emailing you or texting you what I'm learning from <laughs> these podcast conversations. So we've actually uh, created a way for your listeners. If they visit three big questions, book.com slash Carrie, C-A-R-E-Y, um, they can download a free chapter of our book and plus uh, a special gift, 40 conversation starters to help you better connect with teenagers. Oh, so we wanted to offer that. Yeah, thank you. We wanted to offer that specially for your listeners. So that's threebigquestionsbook.com slash carry. I may be downloading that freebie myself. So thank awesome. you so much, awesome. Kara. I mean, You bet. We decided to go with your first name and not your last name, Carrie. Yes. Because, it, uh, seems to be a pattern. Like nobody's nobody's <laughs> spelling Newhoff. It usually takes new staff about six months to figure it out. So yeah, I felt like I was really your friend when I could spell your last name, uh, well, which I can do. Pretty much family. Looking. Pretty so, much family at this point, Kara. Yeah. Yeah, that's Listen, awesome. I so appreciate you, appreciate your work. The level of diligence you apply mm -hmm. to what you're doing and the science behind it. And uh, just really appreciate you as a fine human as well, Kara. So thank yeah. you. And thanks for being with us today. My pleasure and honor. 
While Kara always challenges me as a leader, it's been a privilege to speak at so many different events with her over the years. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. We have everything for you in the show notes, including links to everything discussed. And you can find that at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 458. Well, it has been a tough year as, uh, you know, for all leaders. And next episode, I've got Michelle Williams. She was approached at age 20 by Beyonce and Kelly Rollins to become the next member of Destiny's Child. And we explore that and so much more. Here's an excerpt. You're literally swimming in a sea of darkness with nothing to hold on to. You're out there by yourself. Are you going to get back to shore or are you just going to literally surrender to the darkness and literally let it take you away. Also coming up on the podcast, we have Tim Elmore, Nikki Gumbel, Mark Sayers, Craig Groeschel, and Bobby Grunwald. Actually, let me tell you about this. I'm pretty excited. We've got a future series coming up. Mark Sayers, Nona Jones, DJ Soto, Craig Groeschel, Bobby Grunwald, and uh, well, probably a few others. Vance Roosh is going to join us. And we are going to talk about the future, the digital future, the metaverse, hybrid church, and so much more. That's coming up in January. So again, if you haven't yet subscribed, I would love for you to do that. Thanks to our partners on this episode. You probably need to re-examine your healthcare options. Well, MetaShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating and an average member savings of 50% or more. Find out more by going to metashare.com slash carry. That's M-E-D-I share.com slash carry. World Vision is in your corner. If you want some resources to help you lead better in this next season, go to worldvision.org slash carry podcast. That's worldvision.org slash C-A-R-E-Y podcast. And they'll take care of you for free. Hey, thanks so much for listening today, leaders. If you really enjoyed this episode, we have a whole lot more going on over at kerryneuhoff.com. Our web content is accessed over 600,000 times a month. And you can join almost 85,000 leaders who receive my daily content emails. And uh, we just want to serve you however we can. So if you haven't made the jump on over from listening to reading and seeing the other things that we offer, head on over to kerryneuhoff.com. That's also where you'll find the show notes, by the way. Thanks so much for listening today. We'll catch you next episode. And I hope our time together has helped you thrive in life and leadership. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.